1: Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit eBay.com for terms.
2: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store, but did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash I
3: I first met Majid Nawaz at the TED Global Conference in Edinburgh several years back. As soon as Majid took to the stage to do his TED Talk, I was fascinated to hear his harrowing stories of being radicalized in the UK, moving to Egypt, spending time in a Cairo prison and then becoming one of the world's most important voices in anti-extremism. Of course, terrorism has been one of the defining themes of the past couple of years. And in 2017, it's reared its ugly head again here in the UK, in Europe, and beyond. So Majid's talk, terrorism and Trump, is this the new normal, from our voices gathering in 2016, has just as much resonance today. I hope you'll enjoy listening to his insights and his lessons. And just a quick note, Majid's talk was recorded in front of a live audience, so please forgive any audio issues.
4: I'm 15 years old, and I'm walking down the road minding my own business, and I'm surrounded at the time, caught by surprise by a group of neo-Nazis in a van, out in what they call "Paki bashing hunting people who look like me just to target us and if they find us to attack us with hammers machetes and screwdrivers I'm surrounded by them grown men in their 20s five six seven or eight I've lost count but to a 15 year old it makes no difference and it's incredibly intimidating I think at the time that it's the end of my life. I've seen by this time, four or five, lost count, of the number of my friends who I've had to watch stabbed because of the fact that they look different. One of my friends had a hammer put to his head. One of them was stabbed because he stu- stood up for me, happened to be white, but he was deemed a blood traitor. On this occasion, a passer-by, a good Samaritan, if you will, saw this young, scared, 15-year-old, skinny teenage boy, and decided that he should intervene. I don't remember his name. All I remember is that he tried to save me on that day. And instead, what happened is that these neo-Nazi skinheads held me back and decided to punish him for intervening in his attempt to defend me. And so that, as they forced me watch to watch, holding me back, They stabbed him on multiple occasions all over his body, and he fell to the floor as they cried and shouted and screamed at him that he was a blood traitor. I'm 24 years old. My hands are tied behind my back with rags. I'm blindfolded, I'm underground. Body is piled atop of body. I don't know where I am, but I know it's Cairo. I hear the crackle of electricity as people start to scream. And what I learn later is that they are being tortured on their teeth and their genitalia, being asked questions. I'm given a number, my number is 42. And from the first day, those numbers are called in chronological order, so that as number one is called, Number one is led through this underground dungeon to the interrogation cell, where number one is then tortured and the rest of us have to hear number one scream and plead for mercy. And then number two is called, and then number three and number four, and so on. By the time number 41 is up next, this man who I've never met before nor since is crying like a baby and pleading me to help him, begging me. I say to him, in Arabic, I say, brother, I don't know what I can do for you, I'm in the same position as you are. He says, please, help me, do something, you're unlikely to be electrocuted, you're British, I'm Egyptian, they're gonna kill me. That struck a chord with me because I thought he's probably right. So I did what I could to help him, to give him some semblance of courage, I recited some passages from the Quran that I had committed to memory in an attempt to soothe his soul. It worked. The man thanked me and he said, what's your name? I told him, my name is Majid, Majid Nawaz. He said, Majid, you're a good man. Then number 41 was called and he was led off to the interrogation cell. And I had to hear him scream as he was tortured. I'm 30 years old and I'm invited to Texas, and there in Texas I'm invited to the house of the president, Bush, and he sits me down over lunch and he asks me to tell him my story, pretty much like I'm doing here today. Condoleezza Rice is there, his wife is there, Steve Hadley is there, all his team. And I get to the bit where I say, at the age of 24, I was arrested and detained in Egypt and sentenced to five years as a political prisoner, adopted by Amnesty International as a prisoner of conscience. And we witnessed torture in those Egyptian jails under Hosni Mubarak. And President Bush says to me, stop right there. So I stop. And in the way only President Bush can do, under his administration, of course you'll remember that waterboarding was legalized. He says to me, right in the eyes, how do you define torture? So I have a choice to make at this moment, either I insult the leader of the free world (laughs) Or I decide to, which is what I did, I decided to answer the question in the best way I knew how. I looked him back in the eyes, as I've always done with people, and said, you know, by electrocution. President Bush says, yeah, that's torture, carry on. Now, my autobiography, Radical, begins opening with these three scenes, all three are true, happened to me in my life. But the question I'm here to ask and answer, I suppose, is how does a A a boy born and raised in Essex, which is a bit like the New Jersey of the UK, if anyone knows Essex, end up in those three scenarios. Terrorism and Trump is this the new normal. Fear is what I want to focus on. And the relationship between what I call the triple threat, the fear that breeds far-left anarchists, who will disrupt and riot in our streets. The fear that drives far-right extremists and neo-Nazis who will hunt people down that look like me in our streets just because of how we look. And the fear that drives Islamist extremism. The sort of fear that will lead to what we saw in this terrible summer this very year in France and in many other countries where again, people are hunted down in the streets just because of a belief they choose to not adopt. And fear is the one thing that all three of these extremisms have in common. And I call it the triple threat, the one thing that unites them the most. Whether on the far left extreme, the far right extreme, or the Islamist theocratic extreme, the one thing, even though they hate each other, they hate even more than each other, is the hatred of Jews, interestingly enough. So you'll find anti-Semitism is rife in all three of these extremes. But it's fear that drives all of this. If you take your minds back to this 15-year-old me, who was surrounded by neo-Nazis, what happened next? The man who was stabbed for sticking up for me, there were two choices I could have made. I could have continued to associate with people and have them stabbed, because they chose to be my friends, or I did what I did, which was self-segregate, and begin seeking out an alternative form of identity that didn't put people at risk, white people, at risk for being my friends. And so I began seeking out only those who looked like me. I did exactly what the racists wanted me to do. I began only associating, first of all, first of all, through hip-hop I was. Uh, You'll see in the first part of the book, I was a bit of a B boy. Some of you saw me wearing a bandana last night. <clears throat> I learned how to put those on when I was about 13 years old.
1: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness.
2: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits.
4: In the 90s, hip-hop had a very strong black nationalist strand involved, the Nation of Islam, that led me through Malcolm X into an awareness around Islam, and through that, I began associating eventually only with Muslims. At that state, in that state, as scared as I was, as fearful as I was, and as the Bosnia genocide in Bosnia was playing out across the continent, I was found by somebody who knew exactly how to capitalise, how to exploit that fear, a recruiter. A recruiter to an Islamist organisation. And all this recruiter needed to say to me was, look to Bosnia. These aren't brown or black Muslims being killed, they are white with blue eyes and blonde hair. And so, if you think it's just a matter of skin color, you're wrong. And what's happening in Bosnia could be happening in London tomorrow. Because actually, what Europe cannot tolerate is a Muslim presence. The recruiter very skillfully used real-world events that were happening at the time to play on my fear. And at the age of 16 years old, I left my hip-hop, I gave away all my vinyl, something I regret till this day some real collector's items. I put down my microphone. Well, clearly I haven't done that yet, but I put down my rapping microphone and I joined Hizb tahrir the first Islamist organization to popularize the idea that Muslims must resurrect a caliphate globally, founded in 1953 in Jerusalem and now present in almost every country in the world. In sites military uprisings against Muslim-majority regimes, via military coups, to establish in their wake a theocratic caliphate. This is a non-terrorist organization that works via military coups, not via killing civilians. But the term caliphate hadn't been heard of until this group came along. And I joined them at 16. I left home and I moved to London, another great area known for its wealth and opulence, East Ham. I joined Newham College. And the reason I joined Newham College was to take over that campus. I ran as president of the student union. My entire slate were activists with this organization and we took over the students' union. Caliphate-espousing theocrats now controlled the students' union in Newham College. And we poisoned the atmosphere to such an extent, we divided people along religious lines that eventually, terribly sadly, one of my supporters, Said Noor, took what he had in his pocket, a machete that he called Abdul Jabbar, and murdered a young, non-Muslim, Nigerian student on that campus to cries of Allahu Akbar in what was probably Britain's first jihadist street murder. Ayatunde Ibn Ubey bled to death outside the campus of Newham College on the street. Saeed Noor and a couple of others were convicted But the president of the student union, myself, and my entire committee were expelled from the campus. And rightly so, because our presence was deemed as divisive. That didn't deter me. I carried on with my activities. Eventually, when Pakistan tested tested its atomic bomb, the leader of this organization said that actually, for this caliphate, we need nuclear power. So can all those Pakistani members move to Pakistan and start recruiting from the army there, in an attempt to create a nuclear caliphate. And that's what I did. Eventually from Pakistan, once having set the group up there, I moved to Denmark and did the same in Denmark. And then, finally, I arrived in Egypt. And my attempt was to do the same thing under Hosni Mubarak's regime. 9-11 happened, and it caught us all by surprise. The security climate around the world changed drastically. There was intelligence sharing, and a few months after 9-11, on the first of April in 2002, my house was raided and that brings you squarely to where I was put into the torture dungeons of Hosni Mubarak and then eventually sentenced to five years in prison. But while all of that was happening to me, globally Muslims were organizing and doing the same thing. Many Muslims were turning to theocratic extremism as a form of expressing their fear. Now. If all of that was triggered by neo-nazi attacks, something else began happening. In Europe, as my co-religionists began organizing from fear and expressing themselves through fear, the white working classes were observing this and began becoming fearful themselves. Many of you may have heard of the English Defence League. It was, at one point, Europe's largest far-right street protest movement, mainly against Muslims. If you were to inverse my story, that's how the English Defence League were formed. Fast forward a few, maybe a decade after my own brutalisation by neo-Nazis and many of my co-religionists became the brutalisers. And so as British troops were returning from service abroad, Muslim extremists would spit at them, would call them traitors, would hold up placards calling for their beheadings, and in direct reaction to the group that did that, now banned under our terrorism legislation, the group known as Al-Mahajirun, the founder is in prison, the UK leader is in prison. It's an offshoot of the group that I joined. It's an offshoot of Hizb tahrir In direct reaction to this group's actions, this now banned terrorist organization, came the English Defence League. And so you see that there is a relationship all formed around fear and they feed each other's narratives when you look at the literature when you look at the diaries of Anders Breivik who murdered those innocent people in Norway you look at his manifesto this far-right terrorist in it he cites Al-Qaeda propaganda as the reason for why he thinks this method succeeds If you look at the literature of the English Defence League, when they argue that Islam is here to conquer and dominate, they cite the Islamist theocrats who also argue that Islam is here, as I used to, to conquer and dominate. The only difference, one is attempting to resist that conquering, the other is trying to do the conquering but they are quoting each other. When you look at the literature of Islamist extremists and when they argue that there's a global war going on against Islam and Muslims, there's a new crusade, and the invasion of Iraq was actually a war against Islam, not a war for resources or for geopolitical power, but a war against Islam. They cite the literature, the Islamists cite the literature of groups such as the far right, to argue that, yes, see, they hate all Muslims. They are citing and quoting each other in what we call a symbiotic relationship. They feed each other's narratives, and that's the power of fear. And so Trump and terrorism, is this the new normal? Unfortunately, unless we break that cycle of fear, most people who came out of that prison in Egypt became even more extreme, became more hardened terrorists, because that's what jail and torture does to you. But the reaction to all of these extremes has to be to blunt their sharp edges. And that's going to require leadership. It's going to require a reassertion, a strong reassertion of our universalist, liberal human rights values that apply for us and against us. And that's the only way that we can break what is unfortunately right here, right now with us, A generational struggle to challenge all forms of extremism and until that centrist universalist liberal human rights discourse begins reasserting itself and blunting the edges of these extremes then unfortunately that symbiotic relationship between these extremists is going to be the new normal so terrorism and Trump will be our new normal for the foreseeable future thank you very much
3: Voices is a completely different kind of fashion industry gathering, bringing together the movers, shakers and trailblazers of fashion and uniting them with the big thinkers, entrepreneurs and inspiring people who are shaping the wider world through a program of provocative talks, interactive discussions and unforgettable activities, Voices sparks new ideas and solves real world challenges. By connecting fashion industry leaders and entrepreneurs with visionaries from fields as diverse as science, technology, health and wellness, food, film, politics, the arts, philosophy, and philanthropy. Voices will be happening again in December 2017. If you like this talk, please do save the date and look out for more information at businessoffashion.com slash voices for more details. Thanks for listening to the Business of Fashion podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and subscribe today.
0: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.